It's our golden episode. Paul and I are 40, and this is our 40th episode. So to celebrate, we thought we would watch the 100th episode of Voyager. But I'm getting ahead of myself. As you know, this is the measure of an episode, where it is our continuing mission to explore what makes Star Trek proper Star Trek, and not just an interesting take on time travel and second chances and writing writing wrongs and hoping that each leap will be the next voyage home. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Paul. I'm Jonathan. And by... <laughs> The criteria by which we judge these episodes. Number one, is there legitimate science fiction woven through the plot? Is there a science fiction weave that is used, perhaps as a tapestry? <laughs> Why can't I think of more effing words <laughs> for this intro for, well, I, for science like fiction? As a weave. Okay. Uh, and C, is there a conundrum of morality? See, I use a new word. That, that is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. is a, a, a moral tale of some kind uh, inside, of the, inside of the episode. And, okay, so this is a very special episode uh, as such. I remember being sort of tuned in for Voyager's uh, 100th episode where, you know, shit hits oh. the fan. And, uh, you know, they right. show – actually, wow. I will they say – Yeah, yeah, they did. It was very, uh, very progressive on UPN. Oh, and yeah. I, I remember them really – because the, the effects in this, I, I should say, are, are very impressive. For 1998, mm-hmm. uh, they yes. I, I think they spent a lot of the money on the effects and not so much on the locations because it kind of only takes place in two locations. Voyager and Voyager. Yeah. Well, well and the the not the runabout. What do they call it? Uh, the, the not the Defiant. The flyer. Um, the the radio flyer. No, Delta flyer. The there Delta flyer. Yeah. So yeah. So it was a big deal, and I remember it being like I remember seeing the blur and thinking to myself, "Oh, this is going to be like one of the better Voyager episodes." Like they, they, this is a big landmark because now everybody gets to make a bunch of money in syndication. Right, right, yeah, and and it was, it was a pretty good episode. Yeah, I have to say, it it kind of delivered. Um, directed by Levar Burton, also yes. known as Chakotay in the show. No, no. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I got distracted, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I have so many questions. Rewind. <laughs> Wait, Jacote was the guy who did Reading Rainbow? Okay, so let's just jump right into Did I read the blurb already? That's right. Did I read the blurb? Has it been read? Uh, no. No. A miscalculation by Ensign Kim causes a fatal crash during Voyager's first test with sleep slipstream. God, I can never get that. <laughs> Couldn't get it last week? Can't get it this week. <laughs> I know. With travel. Uh, it's the with slipstream. I just, my tongue won't do that. Uh, anyway. So it's, it says slipstream travel, right? There's no time involved? No, there's no time. Okay. Uh, just kind of jumping into the episode. The show starts out, I love the way it started out, even though it's it's kind of boring. These people just beam down. We, we see these hooded figures. We don't know who they are. They beam down into this kind of Arctic landscape. And they spend, I want to say, at least two minutes just walking around. And mm-hmm. This is setting yeah. the mood. And maybe it's because I knew it was coming, that there is kind of a big mystery, a big a big reveal coming up. But I, I guess you, you would kind of think that anyway, because they're taking their time getting into it, right? There's no banal conversation at the end. They're not talking us through, well, we have to walk through and find it. You know, there, there wasn't sort of chatter mm-hmm. while they're walking. It's just them walking. And I liked it. That seemed to me one of the more science fiction-y things in the show. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And well, it, the reason why, why well, I don't, I don't, wouldn't necessarily say this is the reason why, but the the writers and the director they wanted it to be uh, with no lines of dialogue at all um, until they actually got inside the ship. And and the writers and the director, you know, they 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 were like they they said to themselves that it was a little bit too. They had to put in some dialogue, but with having to put in some dialogue, they were pretty happy with how it turned out and. Uh, and I would agree. You know, I think that I think that they did not have to do what you just said. They don't have to explain anything that's going on by getting there and seeing Voyager under the ice and then beaming in and talking about what they need to do. They're peeling back layers without saying, you know, find seven, nine, seven of nine so we can find her chronometer or whatever it's called. Um, you know, like they they didn't they needed the doctor to 
be the outside person to talk to and explain stuff to him. But I don't feel like they just info dumped on him. It felt like they were providing him the information as it was needed and as we would be getting it too. So I thought right. that was pretty cool. They didn't need a, a car- they didn't need an audience stand in for that whole beginning. They, 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 there right. was no information, and they didn't. And I can see them saying, "We don't want to give away who this is because we do, we don't because they do reveal that it's Voyager under the ice." We don't want mm-hmm. to, people to think, well, it's Chakotay and Ensign Kim. I can hear it from their voices. Uh, so the, the mystery is kind of gone at that point. So I actually would have preferred right. if they had no talking until they beam yeah. in. And then you only know it's them when they beam and they take their hoods off. Which, by the way, just because they're inside of Voyager doesn't mean it would be any warmer in there. Like, they would still be whatever, whatever temperature it is on the outside. I guess it would be less windy. I guess that's true. Well, yeah, it would be less windy. And it's how much later? It's 15 years? 20 years? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it's really well insulated in there. It would be fine. I don't But probably not. Yeah. I feel like either the deeper you go, the warmer it would be, or I mean, the after, closer to the surface. After 15 years, I don't think – and it, nothing is that well insulated. I think eventually right. it would just, you know, it would just come to the temperature of whatever the surrounding area is. It wouldn't be as windy, but it would be – it still would be effing cold. Uh, yeah. They, Can they you not, imagine yeah. how great that would have been? Like they, they kept all the material on and we didn't see them until they actually got back to the Delta flyer. That so would have been almost interesting. That whole first act was just these scavengers. Essentially. We don't know who they are or what they're doing, but that first act reveal like would have been so like the, at the end of the first act, instead of at the opening of the first act, like that would have, yeah, yeah. that would just had so much more impact, you know, right. cause you're trying to figure out like, who who are these scavengers and how do they know so much about Voyager and you know where's where's the Voyager crew and what time you know like we we don't know that it's fifteen years in the future we like we just know that something is probably going to change timeline wise because obviously Voyager's under ice and it would have been cool because we would have thought I would have thought that if we didn't know who these people were and they weren't talking and their their actions weren't necessarily benign or malign, that I would have thought, mm-hmm. oh, these are the people that caused this. These are the people they they because they start sort of harvesting things from the yeah, from, the, from the ship and they start harvesting mm-hmm. the doctor. They start harvesting stuff from Seven, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, these are these are the bad guys. How are they going to get out of right. this one? And later we kind of learned that is the case. Just not. Yeah, they are the bad guys. Yeah, they they are kind of the ones. But it is funny. So they start looking around, you know, for Janeway, and and Ensign Kim finds Janeway and kind of makes her way up to her. He's like, "I just need to make sure she's still dead." (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay, we can go. Right. (laughs) Have your phaser ready just in case. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been great if she was still in her chair, like with a grimace on her face, totally frozen over. Uh, right. The Shining with a cup of coffee in her hand, you know? <laughs> so you know how I said how I loved the beginning. The the, the cold open is great television yes. for me. Yes. Boy, do they fuck that up. <laughs> because the, the next scene where we transition into the past and they're having this kind of slipstream christening, the, uh, the slipstream drive, and they do this thing where we have to do this lap around the ship where every character does their stereotypical thing where it's, and it's like yes. a comedy thing. I, I, I was thinking mm-hmm. to myself, why are we doing this? We're five seasons in, this is the middle of season <laughs> five. We know who these people are. You, you have to do that roll call at the beginning. Like here's where all the characters are, or, you know, just kind of a throwaway line talking about where they are, what they're doing. And, um, but being the hundredth episode, I'm sure that they wanted to have, at least a moment for everybody, especially the fact that it's time travel and we're only dealing with two characters uh, through the majority of it. But the the thing that got me about it was the dialogue of Seven of Nine. It just felt, I mean, again, kind of like last week's episode with, with Spock. It just, it felt not stunted or stilted. My visual processors and motor cortex they are malfunctioning. I was simply trying to perfect my social skills as you instructed me to do. You have always been of enormous assistance to me, Doctor. You, you are my mentor. We are as one. We are as one. Like they were it trying felt... too hard. They were trying too yeah, hard yeah. to impart this character without without giving them something to do. It's like it, it would have been so much better if they were not christening this thing where there's nothing to do but still working on it. And, and a, a great way to do that would have been instead of having Paris be the only one who is concerned about the efficacy of the slipstream drive that 
they're all doing a simulation and they're all working on stuff. And then you impart character through what they're doing, which by the way, is how the rest of the show does it. Like they're, they don't have to have nothing to do in order for them to be having character to do. Right. This is what makes right. next gen fun is that we get the little bits of character in the course of the plot, not the other way around. Right. Yeah. Well, and so the, the, the part that threw me off with the seven or nine being drunk was they talked about, synthahol like her blood synthahol level and i could have sworn that synthahol was a non-inebriation substitute to alcohol oh my understanding of it is that it it does not hurt you in the way that alcohol does meaning it doesn't cause inflammation and give you you know blood damage blood damage sorry medical okay. moment is coming up but but it like it doesn't it doesn't have the <laughs> negative effects on your body that alcohol does but it still makes you drunk because what would be the point of synthahol if it doesn't make you drunk well right and that's uh, that's what i thought like it was just uh, they had figured out a way to i mean we I kind of already taste. have it like the, yeah, I guess the taste yeah the near beer and yeah like we do, we don't have we don't have non-alcoholic tequila or you know non-alcoholic scotch right. so yeah. That's what that's what I assumed it was. You know, it was that you were able to make all of these drinks and still provide the flavor without having any of the the consequences, but right. that included inebriation. I always which, looked at it as something where you just weren't hung, hung over in the morning. You get as drunk as you wanted, and it, you you felt great in the morning. Okay, that's I mean that's I what I hope right. it is. Right. That's what I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> so. 400 years in the future when you're drinking it you can be like yes i was right For 300 years <laughs> cheers Boring. yeah so i hated the lap the the the, mm -hmm. the character lap that we were doing then paris says you know i got a bad feeling about this i've been running these simulations and so tell me something why wouldn't they run the simulations on this new technology this new hardware that they and 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 make sure that everything's cool and then build the warp drive well, uh, so again, like the way the way I interpreted that, and I I've, sounds like I'm wrong based on what you're saying, but the way I interpreted it was they they had done all of the the tests and the schematics um, before they built it. It's just that Paris was actually doing some like literal test runs, seeing how the how Voyager would act in the slipstream. I think it was one of those things where you know you. You focused on whether or not you could. You never focused on whether or not you should. <laughs> so wait, he made dinosaurs? What? <laughs> no, he brought back Animaniacs. <laughs> um. Nice. And nice. <laughs> I, but I don't, I, 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 oh yeah. So maybe he found something that nobody else found, right? Which seems like something right. that, that should not be reserved for Tom. Tom Paris is like the jock, right? He flies him. He doesn't, he doesn't test them i guess he's a, a, exactly a, yeah, yeah it should so. have been bolana yeah or yeah. something or tuvok it seems, this seems like something tuvok would figure out. i don't know it doesn't matter but they find something right. anyway it just seems like a right a writing crutch here that they, mm -hmm. they i feel like they could have done it in a more plausible manner where they 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 happen upon something by accident instead of them basically ready to turn it on and all of a sudden they find this catastrophic problem with the right. with the warp or slipstream drive, I don't know. It just mm -hmm. it kind of it kind of bumped me. Right. No. And I, right. <laughs> it's the military blanket on the front line. Um, the well, right. And I think again, it, like because the episode was focused on Kim, they needed to have a a character who interacts with Kim on a regular basis. And I feel like that's kind of what happens in Star Trek and probably other ensemble shows as well. But there's a, there's a character who is focusing on the issue that it wouldn't necessarily be their issue. You know, like Dr. Crusher and Data working together on the exocomps. Like, why? Yeah. And, you know, so, like, Data I get, but, you know, why is Dr. Crusher hanging out with him? You know, well, it's because she hasn't been on for, like, 15 episodes and they need to have, like, she needs to get <laughs> her money's worth. And so, I, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like, because it's about Ensign Kim, he's not going to be, like, Tuvok would not go to Ensign Kim and ask him to man the helm while he runs the tests. Yeah. I, I maybe what would have worked better for me is Paris says something along the lines of I don't think it's going to work. We need to call it off. And and then Ensign Kim gives his speech. He gives sort of a speech that convinces Janeway to to do some more tests or whatever or however what. He gives a speech, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like 
Paris, because they're both friends, Paris should have said, look, I respect you, but you're wrong. And this is going to, this could very well kill everybody. And Ensign Kim, in his hubris, says, no, I've, I've run this test. I built this damn thing. I know it's fine. It's going to be fine. Trust me. And then they do it. And then you have this thing. So you have this moment where somebody tried to warn him. And, and he, that's, that's sort of what causes his grief and his guilt uh, at the latter half of this, of his, or wh- whatever, you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As, and then, then it's a little bit more believable because what I hate, what I hate about there's this trope in badly written television where something happens where a character accidentally is does something and that causes something bad to happen and it's obvious mm-hmm. that it is, it is it is a an accident but yet they still blame themselves as though they pulled the trigger themselves. I don't know if you if I'm being too vague about it, but it, it's usually something where. No, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have been here. And it's, it's all my fault. It's like, no, no, it was just an accident. You know, it could have happened to anybody. Uh, versus this scenario where you told us this was going to be, work fine. You gave us your assurance that it was going to happen. And in mm-hmm. a way, like, it kind of wasn't Kim's fault, right? It, I mean, he, yes, he did, the, he did the wrong calculations or whatever. But I, I felt like having 15 years of, of guilt and grief, uh, it didn't live up to the 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 bad thing that happened i don't know i i don't know i just would have it would have been a lot more stronger and more focused source of his guilt right well and i i i have to disagree just because i i understand what you're saying and i agree with the trope but he he did push for it i i think that the the storyline that you're providing where they were discussing it you know in paris just is uneasy about it and kim says you know no it'll work i think that that would have added just that much more to it but i i do think that he he was insistent enough in his impassioned speech to the crew in janeway and the fact that he gave the wrong calculations back to seven of nine i think that you know those two things combined would definitely be sitting with him for this amount of time i think the scene that you're talking about it like would would have been great like it just would have been a good character moment it would have just shown that much more of how insistent and headstrong kim was being but um you know but but also maybe it would have been one too many you know we get it at this point well and it it would have it would have been a different pivot point for that moment of everybody is trusting kim whereas everybody else kind of like the way it is now everybody signed off on it everybody's like yeah i agree it's gonna work everybody everybody thought it was gonna work whereas if everybody was just trusting kim whereas Mm -hmm. they had evidence to to the contrary and they right. were trusting him. Oh my god! Like I, I would, I would, I wouldn't even try and travel back in time. I would just kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> right? He wouldn't have survived this long. Yeah. But anyway, instead we get my dinner with Janeway, uh, mm-hmm. and we get to indulge ourselves with the vagaries of Janeway's and Chakot's relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that was that was a great scene of her talking <laughs> about how horrible her cooking was. Yeah. By the way, it's not cooking when you have a machine do it for you. It's not cooking. <laughs> Well, yeah, like what, why is she so worried about the dish? I, I get that, you know, she's, she's preparing the the recipe, I guess, like through the replicator, but there's... She typed it in. She typed yeah, it in. Yeah, like she, right, she she typed it in and it it takes zero time to make another one. Like if I take a book and type it into Microsoft Word, I'm not writing that book. That's, that's what she did. She typed a recipe into a machine and it made, it made the dish. Like she didn't cook anything, right? Oh, okay. Well, right. So again, I was I was thinking that she had this idea for a dish that was a combination of a couple things, or you know, it was a recipe that she grew up with, and so she's trying it. But again, like if you if you are making a dish for a dinner, when you have the ability to create and destroy in moments, like take take all day to <laughs> to make 17 different dishes of it or you know 35 as you're trying to get the recipe just right like don't do it once and i know that they're rationing but she's also the captain and they're they're expecting to get home okay so then we jump ahead to the future and uh, we see Chicote and Ensign Kim in their future makeup and their old old men makeup and yeah, which really wasn't bad. No, I, I liked it. It was subtle. I appreciated it. And Ensign Kim mm-hmm. has apparently channeled all of his grief into a mullet. Yep. I mean, what else are you going to do with it? He's like, I must suffer as they have suffered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then they, they wake up the doctor and they bring him up to speed. 
as far as what they're doing. And they, they kind of go through the whole thing and we're, we're going to send a message back to seven through well, time. I love that the doctor called him Ensign and he's like, don't call me that. <laughs> Just like strangling him. Well, yeah, like, and I, I get that it's like because of the, the Starfleet Association, but it's also he's been an Ensign for five years with no promotion. Like. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Harry, you stop killing people, maybe we'll promote you. But until then, you're staying an Ensign. <laughs> At least Brandon Braga. I don't remember if Rick Berman's still on it or not. But the reason why Ensign, the reason why Kim never gets promoted is because he had the position that the crew had to have an Ensign. We did talk about this. We talked about it with Ichab. Ensign yeah. Ichab. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, like that that blows my mind that they were not willing to promote and grow this character just because they needed an Ensign. Yeah, I, I feel like it would have been better, though, just because you promote him, though. Just be, And also, it's kind of vague in terms of who's in charge of what on the ship, at least how they do it in Voyager. I feel like mm-hmm. you're right, but it would have been better if he would have resigned his commission, but still oh, remained sure. on the ship. Well, and where so, else is he going to go? Well, well, yeah. I guess that he was in danger of being eliminated from the show, but they felt that he was, they found out that he was one of the biggest draws and they kept him. I didn't you, maybe you told me that or somebody, somebody told me that I didn't just make it up. Yeah, I don't remember. We don't, that. Okay. We don't Great. do that on the show. No, <laughs> uh, yeah, we make nothing. Up. <laughs> Set that clock back down to zero. <laughs> um, I would have liked it if, if not, doesn't have to be instant Kim, but maybe instant Kim replaces the person who resigns their commission and you have this sort of floating character who's like, look, not my job anymore. Like they come to them for information or their experience or something having to do with an emergency. Oh, yeah. And then they're like, no, not my job. I'm just here. Like I'll scrub the decks. I'll do whatever. But you made the decision. Like maybe maybe the reason the person resigned was because Janeway, strangely, made a poor decision uh, in relation <laughs> to the crew. And and he's like, look, I can't be a part of this. Like I, I will I will earn my keep. I will earn my my rations, however you choose to do that. You know, I'll keep watch in uh, in the brig. You know, I'll stand there for 17 hours by myself with nobody in there. But uh, yeah. I'm not. I will. I resi- hereby resign my commission. I'm going to go back and read uh, thick novels with no covers on them. And that right. Like, and but then you have. I mean, it probably Kim doesn't like an ensign. They're like, uh, well, we can just promote somebody else. Ensigns are not hard to come by. But if it was somebody like Chakotay, that would have been very interesting because mm-hmm. you could mm-hmm. sort of manufacture the, the thing. Like, look. He was the best at this, and we need him, and he's not going to do it. How do we fix this? And it would be like a, a season-long arc of something yeah. where they try – He they, by the end of the of the arc, he has a reason to come back. And you have that, that moment where he puts his pin back on, you know? And right, demote, right. They demote Ensign Kim back to Ensign. <laughs> <laughs> I meant – Yeah, the episode ends with, son of a bitch! <laughs> Just take the pips off, Ensign. <laughs> <laughs> Hand them over, Harry. Uh, so they, they bring the doctor up to speed, and they they spell everything out for the audience. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be a mm-hmm. super idiot to not yeah. understand what's going to happen. The plan. They laid it out for us in this teller scene. Mm-hmm. Actually, not badly written teller scene. And then yeah, they, no, make the do- they make the doctor say, A message back through time? And we talked about this in the last episode, where you don't need to give us the four. You just need to give mm-hmm. us the two plus two and we'll do the math. And they didn't do that again. I don't, it's like this, it's this weird TV thing where it's like, well, we need to make sure 100% of the people get it. Right. The doctor working, I mean, they showed at the beginning, the doctor working so closely with seven of nine, he would have been able to piece that together. Like they, they didn't need to have that little bit of dialogue. He could have just said, you're planning on using seven's chronometer or whatever it's called. And frankly, the second he got connected to the computer on the, on the future runabout, he would have been brought up to speed immediately because he has access to all of the future database. And so he, he wouldn't have needed to process this with a question that's already been answered. Right. So I don't know. I just don't, I hate that stuff. You don't need well, it. Right. And right. I mean, it's one of those things where it's those details where they, they kind of, they're writing it both for new audience members and returning audience members. So, you know, it's, it's gotta be a very tricky dance to do, but how that would have been a great moment where the doctor comes to the Delta flyer, you know, and he, he's like, I just downloaded your database and you're, you know, like, and he's telling them like what they're doing and, right. you know, like kind of, kind of in a shocked way, 
Like, yeah, like yeah. kind of kind of continuing the conversation as if they to- as if they told him and he's now seeking clarification on like what the what the plan is. You know, you're you know, I, I understand that you're sending a message back in time, but like, how are you going to do it? And yeah, you could have some very clever writing. You have a you have an mm-hmm. opportunity there because you're talking to a computer, sort of like talking to data. You don't need to explain right. anything to data. He's he's already ahead of you in, in terms of of processing all of the information right he's always i mean if you think about data in in the course of a conversation like in those in those conferences that they have those those senior conference member things he's just sitting there bored as hell the whole oh yeah he's just waiting for everybody to catch up and turn to him and say (laughs) can it be done maybe that's why he has no emotion (laughs) (laughs) he can't get bored would you like to put in your emotion ship data no i'll I'll kill myself (laughs) i do that no (laughs) absolutely not Boredom is an emotion, and uh, unless we can take that out, that is a hard no, a standing no on the emotion. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. So, no, so there is something no. I do like about that scene uh, with the doctor, or actually the whole thing, because the doctor immediately becomes a fugitive uh, because they they include him. They're they're basically uh, future Chakotay mm-hmm. and Ensign Kim are are fugitives. And so they oh, we told you everything. You're an accomplice now. You got to stay yeah, with us. Ex- exactly. But I like that the doctor remains himself. He doesn't become panicked. He doesn't become, uh, what would you call, angry. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't become dismissive. He's kind of just his casual, I'm going to crack some jokes. It's sort of outlined that he's not human, mm-hmm. that he's not going to react like any normal person would, considering all the information he's just learned. Right. Well, and something else that they didn't play with, which would have been neat. Uh, I just read a book about this kind of thing. Um, he, for him, this, he, the entire crew was there 10 seconds ago. And now Kim and Chakotay are 15 years older and everybody's dead. Like it, it would have been, it would have been neat to, because he does have that personality, it would have been neat to have him have like, you know, a couple, like you should check with the captain or, you know, some like and have those moments where he's just still needing to process what the the time lapse and kind of you know have have those moments of regret and clarity right away. You know, like you should check with the captain. Uh, sorry, right? I don't know if you can give credit to what's the guy's name that plays the doctor, Robert yeah. Picardo. Yeah, nice. Uh, I don't know if that the credit goes to him or the writing or maybe both, but I don't. I I appreciated that he just didn't become a different person. In that in that scenario, yes, I agree. And so, okay, there's a point where Chakotay finds Janeway's final message. It's like a, a, a fragment of it that we hear the full one of later, which is kind of neat. I like that mm-hmm. sort of element of that we're learning, and they do that a couple of times with with yeah. Mary Kim's message to himself, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is kind of neat. But he says to his girlfriend, Chakotay's future girlfriend, when they're right they're right before they're about to you know <laughs> to pull the trigger. Uh, she says, you know, we don't have to do this. And I was like, what? What? Why would you say that now? Like, you're already past the point of no return by a long shot. Like, it strikes me as an empty <laughs> thing to say because he obviously doesn't mean it. Because she, she's like, no, no, we, we should definitely go ahead and do it since we're kind of wanted and under the threat of execution by the whole galaxy. So I think that we should just, you know, go ahead and carry out the plan. Would have been great if you said this before we stole uh, work technology. <laughs> Again, this would have been nice to know yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it seemed like a, again, kind of bad writing in a way to to show us that that they obviously love each other. This is not another one of Chakot's flings, you know, that mm-hmm. that they're, they're trying to ingratiate the couple to the audience. And that was right. a bad way to do it, to say to, for Chakot to say, oh, we don't have to do this. You, you'll still love me if, if this doesn't work, right? Um, wait, wait a minute. Maybe we didn't quite outline the plan to you 100%. So we're going <laughs> to cease to exist uh, after the plan. If if we are successful or not successful, uh, we're either going to die or we're going to die. That's those are the two outcomes <laughs> that we can look forward to. I'm going to explain this in a way that you can understand. So, honey, why don't you come here and sit on my lap and I will <laughs> I'll go over this one more time. I'll use small words. Um, I don't know why why she would invite him to sit on her lap though <laughs> nice the way to flip that misogyny yeah. from star trek good job <laughs> um, no the but i i did not hear we i heard you like you still have you you still have time to you know or you don't have to follow through with this 
Um, oh, really? I I thought yeah. if she said we. I don't, maybe okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what I would. Yeah. Do. If, he, if if he said we, I agree one hundred percent with everything you said. But <laughs> if if he well, did I will say go you, back. which I will go back and get the clip, and we'll see who is right. In just a few hours, if all goes as planned, we'll have changed history. The past fifteen years erased. We don't have to do this. Now you tell me. He does say we. He says we. <laughs> we don't. He basically lays out for her the past 15 years erased. Like she's not up to speed on what's happening. Right? She should have been like, what? What's happening? <laughs> you said we just had to go on a little, like you wanted to show me something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, we're going back right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> unless he means we like you and I, you know, like I can, I can just do this alone. We don't have to do this. Like that's the only way I can think. Cause otherwise, yeah. Like, <laughs> wait, now you're telling me we don't have like everything that I put in has been under the assumption that yes, we have to do this. Like, no, we're not doing it. Actually. What is her skill? Why is she, why is she there? Does she have a skill? Oh, Kim, or she just, Kim just... blatantly says, cause they're having sex. I like that. I like I like new Kim. I like old Kim. Not old, not new. Old Ensign Kim. I like him. He's, yeah, he's the new old Kim. He's not the old new Kim. Yeah. Yeah. You know, throw out to our listeners. So we, we decided that we were going to do finished live action series. And that was because we didn't really want to bother with the animated series. But now there's Lower Decks, which means there's two animated series. And there's Discovery and Picard, which are both new and out right now. So... Do you guys want us to analyze and review these new series and the animated series based on, you know, the, the kind of change our rule and just do any and all Star Trek shows um, and, you know, analyze and review based on our criteria? So let us know. You can email us at themeasureofanepisode at gmail.com or write a review on any of the, um, the podcast streaming sites that you go to uh, and just let us know. You know, in there, if you if you want us to do that, we're happy to do it. We just want to know what you guys think. Yeah, let us know because we, we would love to do it. Uh, we would love to talk about them. Just let us know that you care. Uh, okay, so there's a point where the doctor uh, does a seven of nine autopsy, which to me was one of the coolest parts of the episode because uh, you he's just basically holding her skull and kind of yes, I yes, I looked away and I went I went back to the TV and I, is that her skull that he's just holding in his hand and <laughs> yeah. taking out the part and just yeah, casually holding it. I, I felt right. like that was purposeful. They wanted it to be a like, Oh, this is like, and I love that. He's just so casual walking around with it. It's like, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and nobody else seems to be uh, moved or, or anything like that about the fact that he's just holding <gasps> seven's brain. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so there is a, a slight nitpicky thing that I want to bring up slightly nitpicky. The doctor says, okay. Seven's transleak frequency is 108.44236000. And what? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I know this is a science fiction show and this is a computer reading off a bunch of numbers. And there's nothing uh, that a computer can do better than generate numbers and read them off, right? You don't need the trailing zeros after a decimal. There you you go. don't need that. Yep. Glad we glad glad we were on the same page there. <laughs> why are they there? Yeah. It just ruined. I I don't know why. I I know this is not this type of show where we totally nerd out like this, but it seemed. First of all, you had to. Well, the writers had to make that number. Mm-hmm. Why why write in the the trailing zeros? I, right. I I can only think that it was some sort of inside joke or that number is somebody's address or phone number or something like that. But I don't know. It bugged me. Did it, did you notice it? Tell them that you noticed. I. It. I, I did not. Um, so read the read the number to me again. One zero eight point four four two three six zero zero zero. One zero eight point four four two three six zero zero zero. Because the difference between one zero eight point four four two three six and one zero eight point four four two three six zero zero zero, there's no difference. Same number. Right. So well, I just I wonder if there's anything about like frequency that would require like maybe. Maybe it's supposed to end with two, four, six, eight digits. Even so, it would there would be if that was true, and there was some sort of method or format to this particular type of number, he he would just leave it out, and the computer would fill it in. In fact, the fact that he's audibly saying something mm, and not Bluetoothing right. the number over to the computer—I don't know why he's not doing that. He's a computer himself who he walks around with a Bluetooth 
whatever you <laughs> hologram Bluetooth thing. <laughs> well, and I, th- I think that's so he can share the information with other people. I guess so. Poorly, by the way. Bluetooth works like <laughs> half the time. Anyway. Okay. So then Captain LaForge. That's a really good point. Shows up. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, Captain LaForge. Captain <laughs> LaForge. He, has, he himself, which is another stick, you know, and uh, sticking it to Harry then because he's still an ensign. Uh, <laughs> See, and with hard work, you too can, oh. Yeah. oh. Like he, come, he comes on screen. He's like, hello, this is not Ensign LaForge. How are you, Harry? <laughs> this is a once ensign for like maybe six yeah. months and then I got promoted. <laughs> but if anything, Captain LaForge's uh, communicator pin was cool looking. I liked that they were like, oh, this is this is what the future is going to look like in terms of communicator pins. Yeah, I like the I like the future communicators in general. Like I feel like they always do such a good design. Um but this is also not the first time we've seen this pin. Oh really? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a new design for the for the episode. It seemed cumbersome. It seemed like it I feel like they should shrink, not get bigger. But I, I liked it nonetheless. <laughs> well, they do more now. You know, it'll. <laughs> Are they also? Uh, what do you make food with? Those things called replicators. Replicator. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're just pocket replicators now. You can grab your snack on the go. That way, you don't have to go find a replicator. That was always a problem. Where right. is a replicator? It just uses hungry. your atoms. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get hungry. Is you make your right. meal. <laughs> I mean, you're just putting it right back in you anyway, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. But I guess you never have to, never have to poop again. That's done. Right, yeah. Do they poop? Yeah, I guess they'd have to. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a toilet directly off of the um, the bridge in, in uh, Next Generation. I am surprised there's not a YouTube video of somebody coming onto the bridge and you just hear a toilet flushing in the background. Report! <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, what's funny is they're, they're actually, I mean, they never acknowledge it, but there are episodes where characters will walk onto the bridge from the bathroom like really? where the bathroom is supposed to be yeah they will they will walk on from that direction <laughs> uh so all right I so actually... we derailed a little bit <laughs> uh so that's why you don't leave trailing zeros at a decimal um <laughs> it's always funny uh so what i did like about the whole captain laforge thing uh is that they give Chakotay and LaForge kind of a moment together. I don't know if it's in this scene or the latter scenes where LaForge doesn't view Chakotay as an enemy. He's he says, "No, not at all. Yeah. I I see what you're doing. I have to stop you. You're kind of going to kill my children if you don't if I right. do it." <laughs> yep. And uh you understand. And they kind of have this this understanding as as two guys, right? And I liked right. those moments. It wasn't just a lower your shields or you'll be boarded. You know, it wasn't that that kind mm-hmm. of crap yeah no i i agree completely um i i because it was also something you know look we just not just but in one of in our history like we have an episode where laforge did do this like everyone was telling him to let it go and stop searching for his mom you know and he was like no i i need to find her she's down there and right. yep. you know so kind of see, he's like i would have done you know i'd probably do the same thing it's like no you, you did do the same thing so yeah and so then we get into the meat of the the plot line where voyager they do their slipstream, right? They, 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 they go, they, they make it happen. And mm-hmm. there's a point, I don't remember what happens, uh, but they get knocked out of the slipstream. And so let's talk about space for a second. So space is mostly empty, right? That's why they call it space. I mean, even though when, right. we, see, when we see visualizations of the galaxy or visualizations of our solar system or, or anything like that, uh, it, we, there, things are kind of close together just for the sake of, of efficiency. So you can see that, you know, sometimes they're at scale, sometimes they're not, but whatever. But space is mostly space. So much that you could shoot yourself at the speed of light in any direction from Earth, any direction. And it's unlikely uh, ever that you will collide with anything, ever. That, that you, that, that's, that's how, like, you would have to turn, you have to have a destination in mind. You won't just, you can't just go and expect to arrive somewhere that is mostly okay. empty, mostly empty. I mean, you, you might encounter some like dust and stuff like that. Right. But right. And, and errant atoms roaming the universe, but in terms of planets mm-hmm. and stars and moons and asteroids, you probably will not hit anything. So 
this idea that happens a lot in Star Trek where they they come out of warp and there there's an emergency and the ship is damaged, much like what happens in, in this thing. They, they come out of the slipstream. There's like there's a planet 100 million kilometers away. And it's always this super accessible thing that I just wanted to point out that this is not that that's sort of a trope that is totally incorrect or at least totally implausible in, in, in real life that that would never happen. Right. Hmm. Most likely. Okay. Unless there's something I don't know, which is also. Well, likely. yeah, I mean, I just I figured laws of average. I mean, it, it might take you a long time, but I figured you any direction you went, you would eventually hit something. And, you know, just I, I guess I never thought about how long it would take you to hit something. But I just figured with how stuff is spread out, doesn't matter what direction you go, you would eventually run into something. Right. I mean, I'm sure um, eventually, yes, over the course of hundreds, if not millions of billions of years, something. You well, right. But yeah, I. I didn't think it would take that long, you know, traveling yeah. at the speed of light. I figured like you would, you would hit something with, I mean, within a month that was, that's kind of how I, I was picturing space, you know, a month on the outside. The, the way I understand it, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not an astrophysicist at all, but right. the way mm-hmm. I understand it is, is even in our solar system, you our densely packed solar system. You would not hit anything very, even with the asteroid belt and everything, you would still just not hit anything. It wouldn't happen, I, I, which, is, right. which is super interesting right? if you think about that, that is how well, yeah, and space I, is. I guess it kind of makes sense, too, because if you think about our solar system, just our solar, like it's on essentially a 2D plane. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's stuff around it above and below, but all the planets are orbiting the sun on the same axis. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and so. So, yeah, I mean, you, you shoot off in any of those directions that is not that axis and. I guess, well, even that access, you are, you, you've got danger. I mean, the asteroid belt, you're probably going to hit something in there, but. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think I, j- just for, in order for us to hit oh, Mars, no, to, 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 to actually, to, to plan on hitting intentionally hit a planet, it takes a mm-hmm. remarkable amount of planning because yes. it's not like, it's, it's very difficult to do just to try and hit something, but with a rocket ship. So. I mean, maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe, maybe because of the of the densely packed asteroid belt, that maybe no. But it's you're right. Like, like the again, the asteroid belt. I like I, I read something recently, and I forget where it was. But the the asteroid belt, the um, the artist's rendition of of the asteroid belt is is far more packed than how the asteroid belt actually is. Like there's there's a notable amount of debris in that orbit compared to other places but it's not it's not packed in the same way that that it's always represented in in tv and films and, and art um and so yeah so yeah there's, there, there's it's not like star wars where they go in empire where they're sort of trying they're going through an asteroid field and they're right. kind of having to dodge them every every couple of seconds like that would not at least not mm-hmm. in our asteroid belt that would not happen you could they're, right. they're miles and miles and miles apart every little you know speck of dust i guess but yeah, I just I don't know. I, I they that that happens in this episode and I wanted to point out that it's a very convenient trope that whenever they pop out of warp in an emergency that they encounter a planet close by, which by the way also happens to be inhabitable in some way. That's not just a gas giant <laughs> some kind. Right. <laughs> space space is very habitable for the people of Star Trek for some reason. Mhm. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because the show would be super boring otherwise, Paul. Super boring. It'd just be pieces of ship floating through space for most of the episodes, if it was realistic. <laughs> and blood, like, just coagulated on top of them. Uh, so, Ensign Kim, he sends the first message, it doesn't work. So he, he realizes, or maybe he's told by the doctor, can't we send another message? Aren't we time traveling here? So he's like, yeah, I can fix it, and then send it again. Uh, but... He realizes they say, well, I, I can't fix, you know, it took me 15 years to send the wrong one. You think it'll take me 30 seconds to fix it? I can't do that. And then the doctor says, oh, well, why don't we, instead of, instead of trying to correct it, why don't we throw them off course so they, they are saved? And Instant Kim is, what a great idea I've just had. Let's do that. <laughs> I'm a genius. Yeah. So they send, they send another message back to Seven of Nine, who has theoretically already received the first message. So I don't understand how this works in the time travel mechanics here that that you can send two messages wouldn't seven be confused regardless of when they when she received them that she, there's at least two messages here happening. 
And so I don't, I mean, is there any, like, this is again, that may be better not talked about because once you go down the time travel wormhole, like you never get out of it. Yes. What we've learned about time travel is it's best not to think about time travel. (laughs) Um, No. So I, well, I think, I think this actually plays better into the wharf episode, that great wharf episode. Which one is it? Um, Parallels. Yeah. Where every time he sends a new one back, it's actually creating a new time stream. So she's not getting 300 over and over and over. She's getting one. And that's, you know, and then she makes those choices. And that's the that's the branch that we're following for that moment until they die. And then, you know, we, we follow a different one where they try a different way and die. But see, that kind of ruins the whole construct of time travel, at least in, in this particular kind, where... Okay, if you're just going to say that a new time or a, a new timeline branches off from the old, and if you look at time, it's just sort of this this gigantic tree-looking thing of different timeline. I feel like that kind of ruins it. That lowers the stakes. It's like, oh well, okay, so that means everything is happening at the same time, and and there's just a, a universe out there where the right thing happens, and it just I don't know. It, it's not as fun to me. Okay, so they they they. They essentially, they, the plan works and they have this kind of this nice moment, this very triumphant moment for Kim when he, he sends the final message at the very last second. He's like, yes. And then explodes. And then the ship blows up. Yep. Yeah. I, I appreciated that. And then it throws them off course and they're like, oh, well, I guess it didn't work. And so like, well, it didn't work the first time we tried it. Let's take it apart and never use it again. <laughs> right. But they get, so they say that they, we got 10 years closer to earth. By using it, by using the slipstream for the short amount of time that we're using it. So why don't they just leapfrog with that? Uh-huh. Right? Yes. Like they could. Yes. They, I mean, like they're only 70 years away. So do that six more times and you'll be home that evening. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. Just every time before the whatever the the resonating frequency gets too great. Just, right, just turn it off. Dissipate the slipstream. Yep. Yeah. And then do it again. <laughs> yeah. That's how you stall move a car. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the scene where they pay off Harry's obsession. Mm, they they, mm-hmm. they pay off the moment when he kind of watches the video of himself, which would be very disconcerting. But, you know, if you really think about watching a video from yourself in the future, I don't know. It would be very, I mean, that's, that to me is one of the, the bigger uh, themes of this, not theme, but the science fiction element is it's like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. But Janeway does shoot him a creepy smile for some reason. <laughs> And they follow it. I don't know if it's on purpose, but it's sort of a mildly disgusted look by Harry. He's like, oh, oh, oh. I don't Uh, think you should date an ensign. (laughs) The answer is no. Hard no. (laughs) And that's the end of the episode. Uh, They're saved to have another episode once again. So, right. And and so I think I think what should have happened with that explosion is that kim says you know his triumphant yes and we start to see the explosion and then it goes back to seven of nine so like we know the explosion happened but also in so sending that message that timeline got erased and so we don't actually get to see the full explosion happen oh so you're saying that even videos that were recorded in a different timeline would disappear things that are hard coded into the past as it were, because it's sort of a, you know, it's a, it's a message in, in seven of nine's inbox that that also disappears, that it's just, Oh, wouldn't it be interesting if it's just a blank? It, it's, it's the recording is still there, but Harry is gone from the room. Oh, that would be weird. And he's like, what, what is this? What? And they, they it's sort of a mystery and maybe it kind right. of haunts, it haunts Harry Kim in the sense <laughs> That he's like, why is this? It was addressed to me. It's got my name on the, you know, it says Harry Ensign. It says Ensign at Voyager.net. He's like, there's only one Ensign, so it's got to be you. Uh, and and he's like, why would why would they send me a recording of a blank of a blank room? And maybe he kind of goes back to that and eventually turns into a maniac and kills everybody because he doesn't know why. I don't know. Always trying to make the show better. That's all. Right. Well, yeah. And then regrets it and then has to go back in time. And thus it becomes a closed time loop. Oh, we nailed it. We nailed it. That's why it's called timeless. <laughs> okay. So that's the end of the episode. I happen to think it is a, a genuine Star Trek episode. Proper. Proper Star oh, Trek Oh, absolutely. Episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's got time travel and it's got somebody saying, you know, kind of at the last minute, hey, you don't have to join us for this. And in terms of morality, you know, uh, he he realizes that he doesn't have to sleep with his captain, even though that's right. what's implied. Like, <laughs> he handles that well. He, yeah, so well. <laughs> Again. Even though we've talked a lot about this episode, it feels like we haven't talked enough about this episode. I feel like it's still we still need to break down, especially in the idea of the time travel trope, right? I fe- it feels like we've left some stones unturned. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, where where are you going with? It? I'd love to like talk with some other people about it. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. If there, maybe if there was another podcast we could listen to that that or we could t- that we could talk to that wasn't necessarily Star Trek because we wouldn't want to do that. That seems incestuous. But maybe oh, another it. another science fiction. Wait, I have an idea. Jonathan, have you heard of Continuum Drag, the podcast Continuum Drag? Oh, yeah, where they watch uh, forgotten sci-fi TV shows and movies and just kind of give their own spin on on what happens. Yeah. How about them? I bet you they would love to talk about this episode. I think they would love it. <laughs> so how about this? Let's reach out to them since we just watched this episode. Let's reach out to them and see if they want to do a, a collaboration on discussing time travel uh, and we'll bring the timeless to the table they'll bring their time travelers episode to the table and um and we just kind of talk that sounds like a great idea it it sounds like such a great idea like it sounds like it's already happened and we're pretending like it hasn't happened yet but in fact we've already had the conversation is that possible like well yes and no so we will have already recorded it and future us have already brought it back to us so we (laughs) we do have it we just, we don't just know haven't what it recorded says. it yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's go watch it. What? Let's let's go discuss it. <laughs> yeah, let's go keep discussing it. So stay tuned for a special collaboration episode with Continuum Drag, the podcast. Later this week, as we talk about time travel, a little bit more about Star Trek, and some obscure uh, other time travel stuff that isn't Star Trek. Yeah, things things like Back to the Future. You know, those lesser known things. Right. Back to the Future and Back to the Future. and Oh, and Bill and Ted. We talk about Bill and Ted. We do talk about Bill and Ted, yeah. Two staples. Or do we? Shoot, we don't know yet. We haven't, reco- we haven't recorded it. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I mean, obviously, we're, gonna, it's, we're talking about time travel. We're going to talk about those two things. Oh, true, true. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. All right. So tune in next time on The Measure of an Episode. <laughs> we, have no in, we have no outro that isn't our normal outro. What, uh, right. We just have to keep recording until, it's, until the next week. <laughs> Shoot. Star Trek Enterprise. Because I think it's Star Trek, not just Enterprise at this point. Okay. Season 3, Episode 6, Exile. Hoshi Sato is contacted by a 400-year-old telepathic alien exiled on a planet in the Expanse. Shunned by his society because of his abilities. Now that makes me kind of excited. Right? That looks pretty cool. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, it looks <laughs> awesome. So, all right. 